Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience, talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony, difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Good morning, Australia, and good evening, America, and everyone else worldwide. You're listening to Radio Tony today, and your host, Tony Lontis. I've got a great show for you today. You'll be hearing not only from my sponsors, Kerry and Tracy, but also from a wonderful uh, new author called Brad Richard. So uh, just to let you know that I'm a little bit jet-lagged from my recent brief trip to Europe and um, if any of you suffer from jet lag you'll know what that crossing time zones does to your poor old brain and in preparation for this show I just thought I'd quickly run you through what jet lag is according to who and apparently the symptoms cause are caused by a disruption to the body's internal clock and our circadian rhythms it controls the disruption occurs when you cross multiple time zones, i.e. when flying from east to west and west to east. Uh, As those of you who've been unlucky to have jet lag, you know that it leads to a whole heap of things like uh, gastrointestinal disturbances, general malaise, fatigue, sleepiness, difficulty sleeping at night and reduced physical and mental performance. Hence the reason why I'm actually on your show an hour earlier than I should be. But that's okay. We'll fix that up next week. Um, I also found out that when you travel uh, from east to west, it's easier on your body than flying from west to east. So consequently for Australians, traveling over is usually okay, but when we come back home, we really suffer. Um, also, when I researched this topic, I found out that if you the recovery time for jet lag is apparently equivalent to the number of time zones you cross. So for instance, we cross through 10 different time zones. So according to the research, it should take us between five and 10 days to recover. And the best way to recover is sleep when you need to, eat properly, exercise and get the right amounts of light. And your body, and in particular your brain, in a place called the hypothalamus, that's your timekeeping centre, will eventually adjust you back to your proper time zone. It's all to do with your eyes and your perception of light and darkness, which I thought was very fascinating. So we have on the line with us this morning the wonderful Kerry Hort Rowe. Now, you'll know Kerry from our previous conversations where we talked about the HBDI testing for my brain. 
And I thought you'd all like to know that this week, Kerry's going to run us through what that test looked like for me. So, Kerry, you can hear me fine now. Yes, good morning, Tony. Hello. I'm so happy to have you back on the show. And I know that our listeners are all excited to know just what my results were and what it means for the way my brain thinks. It's so interesting. This is the part that I just love about my work is when people see their thinking patterns mapped out and then showing some results of how to change a few things and how to tweak. So it's really interesting. So we're going to go through a number of them today. Fantastic. So, do you want me to start? I would love you to start since it's your expertise that I'm relying on this morning in my jet-fatigued brain. All right. Okay, business. So what I did is I sent um, Tony a questionnaire and she had to fill it out. Now, a part of that questionnaire, there is a section that puts your brain under pressure. That pressure, no one really knows. The brain doesn't know what is putting it under pressure. It just knows that it is. So there is a section of it that, that does that. So one, when Tony did the uh, did it, she did a section of it that really, really worked um, well. So what happens is that when I get the profile back and Tony's got it in front of her, you get a dark line that goes over the four quadrants, which is your analytical quadrant, your, um, your which is A, your B quadrant, which is your organised self, your C quadrant, which is your emotional side, and your D quadrant, which is your creative side. Now, there's only four thinking styles. It just depends what degree of thinking you are in that quadrant. So in Chinese, the, the dark line, which is her everyday thinking, was very low in the analytical. <laughs> Sorry. Which was, which was really interesting. <laughs> What's your comments about that part, Tony? Uh, I am historically the worst maths-based person on the planet, so I already kind of knew that I might not perform really very well in that area. Um, I did did think that I had uh, a few analytical skills, but perhaps not. (laughs) Well, you do. It shows that you do. But it's just that you prefer not to go there. Yes. And that's where your, your brain is working. So, and this is the thing, is that we can go there, we just have to work harder. So, in the organised self, she is, she's quite medium. She's, you know, quite, quite good in that. She can do what she needs to do. But her strong points are very much in the emotional and the creativity. Yeah. Which is why she's good at, at your job. But when you come to the under pressure, which is on Tony's um, map, you get a dotted line. And when she's under pressure, her analytical stays the same because she really doesn't want to go there anyway. Yeah. Um, but her organised skills become a lot more apparent and she works a lot harder. Yeah. But she'll pull back a little bit on her emotional side. 
So she might pull back from people or pull back from talking or or just try and be time by herself. But, you know, she will know I can never find exactly what that is because it doesn't tell you. Yeah. But her creative side stays exactly the same. So one thing in, in that is that when you get your HBDI done, you get a full map and a whole book. And I'll just read out a little section of this. And... Um, The profile is frequent with the professionals in the human resource area, sales people, teachers, social workers, entrepreneurs, nurses and artists. Work that is constantly most satisfying would include working with people, um, integrating ideas, designing, bringing out change and getting groups to work together and helping people. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly Tony. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly you, because you're great at all of that. So there are other aspects that we bring out for each profile. And it, one might say, you know, most comfortable communication approaches may include allowing time to explore, which is what you do. Yeah. Giving a conceptual framework, which is what you do. Yeah. Um, establishing a rapport. Yeah. Involving others and anticipating how people feel. And that really, really shows up in her uh, profile as far as her um, intuitive and everything with her feeling side. But the thing is, is that the things that may, Tony may um, overlook will be the critical analysis, yes. the written schedule and plan, the step-by-step <laughs> approach, and the technical act- accuracy. Yep. So when it comes to what you do on the radio, you are great at finding um, people and getting information out because you are great on those three areas. Yeah. But when you have someone that is very analytical, you would find it very hard to actually try and come up with the question. Yes. But now that we've given Tony the tool, yeah. she has now got a flip chart that she can go through and have a look. So how did you find those flip charts in the book? I was just going to say I love the the flip charts and the information, um, particular like it's so well coordinated. It's bright and easy to read, and you can just go to certain sections and go, okay, so this is the person I'm interviewing, and I think that they're like you said, analytical. How do I need to approach this? Um, and I just, I, I actually agree with Kerry that it's just, it's really fascinating to look at um, how the HBDI uh, tool works and how it helps you understand yourself better so that you can, uh, well, for me, mainly so that I can help others and do my job the best that I can. Um, the individual bits of me that I work best under. So the the whole brain model has got like an A, B, C and D quadrant. So that's the four quadrant quadrants of the model. And in under each of those, so I'm a high D and a high C, which is very much me. Like the questions that the um, that they ask you to perform the test are really simple, and I'm fascinated how those simple questions that were quite easy to answer as long as I followed Kerry's 
guidelines of whatever the first answer you think of, that's the right answer. As long as I did that, it was relatively easy. As soon as I started to second-guess myself and think, oh, maybe I'm this or maybe I'm that, um, it was a little more difficult. And then I just tricked my brain back into going, no, Kerry said, whatever you think of is the first best answer, that's the one you go with. So I just kept doing that. And yes, very simple, but amazing how the results come out and show you and your brain the way I sort of thought that it would. I actually thought that I would be mostly in the D sector, but uh, as Kerry pointed out, I'm a, a D and a C. So, Kerry, did you want to explain to our listeners what a D and a P, a C brain, what are the things about those that make it different from other people's brains? Well, um, a lot of people um, are in each quadrant, but the D and the, the, um, the D and the C is always very interesting because it is our feeling base. And that is where, if you've got some people that um, just aren't huggers or they just don't communicate easy with others, they find it really hard to be their personal self. And these are your, your nurses and um, and your social workers. They're the yeah. people that just love helping people regardless. Yeah. And that's what you are, Tony. Yeah. The, the D quadrant is also very highly is most often CEOs and um, entrepreneurs because okay. they see the future, they see what needs to happen. Yeah. And that Tony is very high in this area because you see something and then you work on it. Yeah. And also with Tony, with this profile, is that Tony has the ability to work off other ideas. If someone gives her an idea or comes up with something, she can split it apart and go, oh, we can do this, 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 and this. Yes. And, and that's how things get done. And that's the difference between those that have a, um, a high D quadrant and a C quadrant. They're able to look at the future, but they're also able to take in people's feelings and is it going to work for people? Yeah. Um, the organised, yes, she can still organise, but the analytical, that's the part that she actually outsources. Yes. So... Tony can do it, and this is the thing: is, is that whatever quadrant you lack in, yeah. you can do it. You just have to work on it and work the best time. So, on that point, is that in the questionnaire we work out as to when people have their most energy. Yes. Now, Tony actually is pretty even, um, whereas I'm very high energy in the morning, and I find it hard in the evening. Yeah. So, mine is also analytical. That if I need to do any of my book work or anything, I have to do that in the morning. Yes. Because that I, I easier for me to think. So anyone who has a very low um, in any one quadrant should never do it when they are the least energy. Yet yeah. most people will do it the opposite way around. And that was the other fascinating right. thing about the test was it showed when my uh, levels of activity are best so for me um my uh energy levels um at night time are when i should do my organizing and um accounting and my analytical stuff wasn't that right kerry have i got that right the right yes, way around yes, that's yeah right. yeah yeah yes that's right so um anything to do with peace or creative 
Tony will do at the, you know, just comes naturally to her. So she can do that anytime. Yeah. But with, if she actually has to do her books or do a scheduling or working out different things, her best time to do that is in the evening because that's yes. when she has her, her most, um, most energy levels. So it sort of works where it needs to um, work in by doing the HBDI. We go through a whole lot of factors. So it's not just how you think. But it's how you operate. Yeah. Correct. I, I just. So there's another little section. Yeah, go on. I was just fascinated to see that the amount of information, like valuable information about the way my brain works, that could come from just doing a test that was relatively simple. Yes. That, 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 um, the test is, um, has been developed over years yes. and because it, it started off at 500 questions oh, and did they it? slowly were able to get it down to yeah to get it down to the 120 but they can't go any lower because then you drop out different things so a lot of it does come up that's why a lot of it is the wording and yeah. the wording allows where your where your thinking goes yeah the other thing is, is that what i love about it is that it does go through about um what what things you actually prefer to do, your schooling, um, yes. your education, your your um, occupation, your also your hobbies. Because yeah. all of that paints a picture. Yeah. Which is really interesting. There is another section in here. It says the most natural problem-solving strategies would include uh, intuition, visualisation, brainstorming, processes, building on ideas of others and sketching, which is what I said about yeah. Tony. So that's where Tony's strengths lie. But she still may um, may not consider the logical processing yeah. as the, implement, um, yeah, yeah, the implementation of the aspects, the problem definition and the idea evaluation. Yeah. So there are a few little things that, that roll into the analytical side. But that's where people will, if you're in business, then people will either outsource or they will work on it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it's really interesting. So um, it, it is Tony, possible... tell me when you... When I, sorry? No, I was just going to say, so it is possible to actually work on those uh, elements of your brain that don't function as highly as the other elements, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and that's where I go through with people. We map out different areas of when to do it, when to work on it, and how to work on it by yeah. using the different tools that I gave you. Yes, yes. So, Tony, when we presented you your profile and it was all done and then you sat back and thought about it, what were your thoughts? Uh, wow. <laughs> wow was my... Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was my initial thought because uh, it confirmed for me some of the things that I already knew about myself. Um, and I actually thought that it was fascinating the way the information about my brain function is presented to you. So when you do the test and the information pack comes back to you and it is a substantial pack um there's so much 
to go through and read and there's so much value in knowing that stuff. So I really thought it was fascinating to sit and review my profile scores and how my brain functions under pressure. I thought that was fascinating. So you touched on a point there is that it does confirm what you already know. And most people know roughly how they think. But what most people are interested in, it's like it's like when you're driving somewhere, you know roughly how to get there. But until you have a look at the map, you think, oh, okay, I need to turn down here. And that's what this does. It maps out your thinking. So you see your thinking on paper. Yes. And that's what most people are fine is that when they see where their thinking goes under pressure and they go, oh, my goodness. Yes. And then when they think about it, they go, yes, I actually do do that. But now they've got a tool how not to. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. It, yes. it, it has impacted me that I now think about things from a different perspective and I'm very conscious of that when my energy levels and what part of my brain works best at what time of day I'm very conscious of that now which I wouldn't have been before if I hadn't done this amazing um, questionnaire to get this information Um, and I'm looking forward to like exploring it in more depth over the coming weeks and months and um, i also love the coloured um, circle with the <laughs> – I'm trying to describe it – the coloured circle with the <laughs> quadrants in it that show you your um, profile scores and, and where you sit. I found that fascinating as well with the percentages around – well, you would find that. You would find that because you're creative, yes. that will jump out at you. Yes. Yet if someone is very analytical, they think, well, why do I need the colour? <laughs> so so this is where it, it's designed for all quadrants so that each quadrant will see it because the analytical is there because it's got all the numbers and make sure that that's all. It's yeah. got the organised because someone organised and go, oh, yes, that's all done well. It's all laid out beautifully. The feeling base will go, oh, great, that's all about me. <laughs> and then the creativity will go, great, I love the colours. Yes. So that's why it's done. It's done correctly. Yes. And when I presented it to um, Tony, I think she was quite amazed as to how many businesses and companies that are well-known around the world that uses this tool. I was fascinated by that too. I thought that was very interesting that it's such a well-used um, tool in corporations to uh, derive yes. the best from their staff. Yes. And one thing um, I think you'll agree on, Tony, is that this, why a lot of companies use it and why I'm taking it to small businesses and, and individuals is that it's not a performance thing. This no. Purely empowering you as a person. Yes. That because it empowers you, you now know how to work on your strengths and your weaknesses, which makes you a better employee, a better wife, a better mum, yes. a better friend. Yes. Um, and that's where the things are different. Do you find that? I do. I do. I do. Re- like since I've had the profile and like access to it, I've 
often sat when I've got a few spare minutes and read through it again. And each time I read through a different section, I get a bit more understanding, um, which I will like implement into my life. Um, I, yeah, yeah, very valuable stuff from my perspective um, to see where where I sit and how my brain functions and very much uh, the analytical, technical, financial stuff is a key area that I need to work on, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but, but with the tools that I've given you, yes, um, and I will send Tony some um, other little bits and pieces over the time, yeah. but the tools that she's got now, she will be able to make her show even more interesting because she'll be able to come up with, with the correct correct and creative um, questions and to be able to move in that area and she's got the tools in front of her that she can flip through and which makes it so much easier. One particular person who was very high in the D and C and almost nothing in the A and B had to go and see a lawyer and she'd been several times and she felt like that nothing worked. And when she did this, she took her little flip chart and she read through a lot of the analytical when she went there. And then at the end of the the meeting with the lawyer, the lawyer said, I feel like you were way more focused this time. And Uh she said, yes, and I understood it better. Uh And so from that, it made a big difference for her because... She was coming at the point of feeling based and emotional and why isn't this happening and why isn't this. But when she understood the brain of someone who is analytical, then she understood understood it more and she was able to process it better and then she was able to come back and go, okay, this isn't about me, this is about the process, the numbers and how we're actually going to move forward. Yes, yes. And it made a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about, for me too, is about um, recognising that my brain may be a little weakened in certain areas and, as you said, thinking about either how I improve that or outsource that to someone who is high in those areas. So um, just from talking to Kerry, I really realised the importance of Um, my accountant and how her expertise will be most important to me going forward because my accountant is uh, a numbers person and they know about money and they know about how things work and they're uh, quickly and easily able to analyse and quantify things, whereas that's not my go-to space so by outsourcing or getting a really good accountant that's going to protect me and what I do and my business going forward isn't it Kerry? That's that's absolutely correct so um, in in my um, my profile which I I tell people when I do their profile is that um, I'm okay in the analytical I'm very high in the um, organised Yes. I'm good in the scene, but in the creative, I'm okay. But under pressure, my creativity drops to next to nothing. And so I've outsourced my social media because I find that so stressful and so hard 
yes. that I can't do it. Yes. When I relax, but my energy levels are in the morning, so I was trying to do it. But if I've got a lot on, I can't do that. Yeah. So I outsource my create my um, social media, which is creativity. Where Tony, it's easy for it. It just comes off the top of her head because yeah. her brain naturally wants to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that, that's the difference with people, and that's why this is so important when you understand a husband and wife. You know, um, a couple I did a little while back, and they said, oh, my goodness, I wish we had have known this 30 years ago. We wouldn't have had half the argument. Yeah. So what we did is we split up these things in the thing, okay, you guys, you two, you do this one, you do that, and you become the social media of the company, you know, as in a, you know, their business as well as there as in a couple. Yeah. You do this, you do that and by directing it out, they've hardly fought. Yes. They because they understand now why the other person doesn't understand their thinking. Yeah. And it makes a difference. Yeah. 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 I um I just I think it's quite an amazing uh, tool and, and a wonderful process to uh, be involved with and I'm really glad that um kerry took me me through um how it works and and i'm really glad that i've i've done it because going forward it just will help in so many ways um you know from communication to problem solving to um having meetings with people um just in so many areas of my life. Um, Kerry, what are some of the great results you've had from people who've done this testing with you? Oh, there's, there's so many. Yeah. The, the most amazing one is those that have totally realised it. They've gone, oh, my goodness, this is why I keep making the mistakes that I do. Yes. And then they've taken my advice and we've worked out and then they've actually worked on it that they're now doing so well. Yeah. Their business is, their third business is now doing well rather than going, you know, um, failing like the other two. Yeah. They've, they've, take, they've actually um, backed themselves because they realise that they can do this and they've, they've stepped out of their comfort zone and, and they've pushed themselves and they've learned and and by changing the way they do things by the day with our energy level, yes. um, all of those, there is a number that have just thrived and they've done well and that they've just gone, oh my goodness, this is the best tool that I have ever done. Um, and because it, it does all of that for them, but on the other side of it is that when they come in contact with people, they're able to look at them within usually, you know, a few minutes ago, oh, I think you might be more people person, the, the, D, the C quadrant, or you're very creative. So what they've done is they've changed how they approach people like that, where they now talk in their language, which is the D quadrant, creative. Yeah. Or when they come across someone who is very analytical, they don't want to hear how your day's gone and everything. They just want the facts and the figures. Yeah. So, so they found that that was very, very valuable to them, that they were able to actually change the way they speak to people, yeah. the way they interact with them with business and socially, and that they have noticed hugely. 
have you noticed that when you've met people that you're thinking that line now? Yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually, when I'm talking to people, I'm thinking about, okay, I think that their brain is in this, they're more this sort of brain or they're more that sort of brain and that means I'm starting to think about how I communicate with different people rather than not giving it any thought at all. Exactly. And and so in your industry and the same with teachers and when you're out there and, and helping people, we often, before doing this, you work on your, on what you do because you don't know any difference. Yeah. And so you ask questions on your main areas, which is your D and your C. Yeah. But when now that you're knowing this and yes. you can work out roughly what someone is, you can now talk to them on their thinking level yeah. without them realising. Yeah. And and it makes conversation better. Yes. It makes your interaction better. It yes. makes your, your program better. And all of those, it's a learning curve. And yeah. It, and it just empowers you as a person. Yeah. So before we run out of time, Kerry, I've quickly, I've just got some questions from our listeners. Um, Seth, uh, yes, Radio Tony is a little early this today. We didn't realise that uh, US has uh, clicked over into a, a summer, uh, sorry, a winter time frame. So you just oh. were a little, <laughs> it's okay. Um, and Lola wants to know, where can people take this test? Nina wants to know, what would the test help us with? And Josie wants to know. So this will help us find out what we're best at. So before I run out of time with Kerry this morning, what I'll do in the break is I will put up Kerry's email and her website so people can go on and find out how to take this test with Kerry um, and I'll let you quickly answer those questions if you'd like, Kerry. Yes. So if you go onto my website, which Tony's going to put up, it is www.brainthinking.com.au. I do actually have on there a little mini test that you can actually fill out. There's two sections to it. And then I will get back to you usually in about 48 hours and give you a rough snippet. But that won't tell you too much unless the, um, you do the full um, test. I can do it um, anywhere in the world through um, Skype, so wherever you want to have it done. Um, and what it will do is that it will help you and empower you to be able to talk to others on different levels. It will help you in your workplace as to perform better um, because you will work out quickly as soon as you've had it done as to where your strengths are, where, where your strengths and your weaknesses lie and how you can work on them. So, yes, it will help you work out what you're best at and help you decide if you're struggling in a job that you just don't like and and it's not working for you, this test will help you realise, oh, that's why I should be actually doing a job in nursing or in the creative fields rather than uh, trying to be an accountant because my brain's not exactly. wired that way. Yeah. 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 All right, Kerry. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. We will have Kerry again um, because she's a sponsor of Radio Tony. We'll have Kerry on again um, over the coming months and we will continue to talk about this testing and, and how it helps you. But um, I'm conscious of the fact that Kerry is um, off to a speaking engagement this morning, so I must let her go. So we're going to take a 
quick break and when we come back we'll be talking to our first guest of the day our second guest of the day um and over to you rebel bye kerry keeping the conversation going on the suppressed social and moral issues this is radio tony on W4WN. Join Tony Londis, author of Resilience, Memoir of a Broken Little Girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty on the Women for Women Network. Radio Tony uncovers and exposes the social and moral issues of our time, bringing social consciousness to the airwaves. You're not alone with secrets. Let's talk trauma and resilience. Radio Tony is your safe space for these tough conversations. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Thursday evenings from 7pm Eastern Standard Time on W4WN. Radio Tony on W4WN. Your safe space for tough conversations. Hello and welcome back. So we're just waiting for our guest, Brad, to call in. Um, As I said, we've had a little bit of a mix-up with our time zones and my brain is completely jet-lagged. So I'm just trying to get our guest, Brad, on the line. Um, For those of you who haven't listened to Radio Tony before, uh, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm uh, Australian, obviously, and um, the beginning of 2019 I wrote a book and as a result of promoting that book I actually came in contact with uh, the owner of Talk for Media who convinced me that uh, giving radio a go would be a good idea and so now I have this uh, weekly two-hourly show where I get to talk to amazing people about amazing things and um, our next guest is also an author um and he has written a book called man at 50 and um i connected to um brad um earlier in the year and we talked about book writing and he told me about his story and i encouraged him to get on and finish the book that he'd started earlier on and as a consequence of that, he's just published his first autobiography, Man at 50. And um, he uses the author pseudonym of S. Richard. And Brad lives in East Texas with his wife. He works as a full-time security officer for Realtor. And he's also presently working on his second book. Um, you can follow Brad on Twitter and LinkedIn and I'll pop those links into the chat box in a moment. Um, Brad's autobiography is filled with crisis, revelation and survival. Um, he His book talks about uh, the his uh, abuse as a child, his failed marriage, his struggle with sexual identity, um, and it talks about how he confronts white magic from one of his previous man- uh, marriages, uh, dysfunction, bad judgment, bad choices. Um, it talks about his life in terms of his questions, his fears, and his uncertainty. And his books lead you to. Um, 
talk about and think about the things that make life important. It leads you on a discovery of strength and deeper understanding of life. And it's one man's journey um, that will inspire, encourage and give hope to the reader. So listeners, just while we get Brad on the line, um, I've just come back from a wonderful trip to Europe where I my husband and I went to Germany for the first time and uh, we spent some time in a little city, well, a big city called Nuremberg. And uh, in Nuremberg, it's famous for the Nazi rally centre and it's also where the Nazi war trials were held. And I have to say that visiting that uh, Nazi um, war trials Uh, centre in Nuremberg was an incredibly uh, cathartic experience. It was a dark, solemn place. And reading the history of the Nazis and the war trials and the atrocities that were committed in the name of... uh, the radio, the the Nazis was horrible. Some of the displays are incredibly graphic and challenging, and they caused me to think about some of the atrocities across our humanity, um, some of the wars that we've had, and some of the things that have happened in the name of those wars. It also caused me to question some of our current leaders across the world and how uh, Hitler uh, used propaganda and fake news uh, to spur people into action and how he deceived millions of people across Germany. Um, And it was quite a harrowing visit and I have to confess that we left the centre early because the uh, level of solemn nastiness that pervades that building, we felt like we needed to escape. I'm glad that we went. I'm glad that we saw uh, and read the history, Um, but it wasn't uh, what I would describe as a pleasant experience. So the next stop on our little European adventure was Heidelberg. And Heidelberg uh, is a beautiful uh, city in Germany and sits on the River Neckar, which is really amazing. Um, It's fall in Germany at the moment, going into winter, so it was lovely and cool, but all the beautiful change of season trees were developing their orange and red and white uh, uh, yellow uh, leaves and it was very beautiful. So Heidelberg has one of the most majestic castle ruins in the world and they've been sitting on the hill in Heidelberg since the year 12,000 and walking along the river banks at night you can look up onto the hill and see the castle ruins litten um, and they're really beautiful 
Um, Cruz wants to know, did you get affected by the negative vibe? Absolutely, Cruz. The the centre is very, um, it's a concrete building. There's not a lot of colour anywhere in or around the building and the crowds um, that were going through the building at the time we were, it was very quiet, uh, very solemn, which is unusual for a tourist attraction to be um, such a solemn experience. And I guess that's reflective of the nature of what's inside that building. Um, For each, there's multiple stations where you get to listen to commentary about the rise of Hitler and his party and how he uh, rose to fame and fortune, I guess you could say, and and how he used what I found most um, fascinating was how he used propaganda to change the way that everyday people thought about the world and looked at the world and how he galvanised a nation behind him when, in fact, in the background, he was so fundamentally evil, so fundamentally racist, and so fundamentally flawed, yet he managed to galvanise millions of people to support his crusade. Um, The solemnness of the uh, centre... I think is reinforced by the level of horribleness that some of the displays uh, give you. So there's there's pictures of of uh, mutilated bodies. There's shots of the concentration camps. Um, there's photos of um, execution of of human beings. So it, it it's very solemn and negative. Um, so, and I was unprepared for that. I knew that it wasn't going to be a, a pleasant experience, but I was unprepared for the solemnness and the evilness that pervades that whole centre um, at the Nazi centre in Nuremberg. Um as I said, we went from Nuremberg to Heidelberg and then across to Strasbourg in France, which was really very, very pretty. Um, and it's lovely to walk through cobblestone um, streets and to wander around the old um, historic places in Strasbourg Um, we came back to the hotel and they had a wonderful fireplace to sit in front of at night and the next place we went to was in Switzerland and we were able to drive through the Swiss Alps which was very beautiful and surreal Um, and then we popped down to a huge lake called Lake Constance um, in a place called Friedrichshafen. And in Friedrichshafen, there's an amazing historical museum that showcases the big airships, you know, the blimps 
um, and we spent many hours wandering around the museum. And I remember thinking, who would have thought those huge airships were so fascinating? I it never occurred to me that they were so big. Um, and the museum itself has um, a replica blimp set up that you can walk through, and the uh, accommodation is very much like what you would find on a cruise ship of today. So they had, you know, bedrooms and bathrooms and lounge areas, and it was a fascinating museum with just amazing uh, exhibitions and examples of what was in the airships, um, how they travelled, how they functioned, um, and, of course, lots of information on the disaster of the Hindenburg, which was the infamous and biggest airship. Leo wants to know what season are these places in at the time of this visit so we've only just come back Leo I'm still jet lagged we only come back into Australia on uh, Tuesday and it's fall uh, going into winter over there so uh, quite cold at night dropping down to like one degree um, the Alps and all of those places are uh, snow capped at the moment um, so when we went up in the gondolas to explore those places there's lots and lots of snow already um, lots of the trees as I said are beautiful at this time because they're all changing uh, season leaves and, and very lovely uh, some of the lakes and rivers are starting to get frozen edges and um, very nice time to visit there's not a lot of uh, people and tourists around because it's the off season for Germany and Europe but I can say it it was the most wonderful time to visit Europe for us again first time we've ever been to uh, Europe um, and I was fascinated by the scenery and the architecture and the history it Europe is so old and many times we'd be just driving along and we'd see a fascinating building and we'd pull in and have a look and the outside would be you know quite beautiful and old and then we would walk inside and be just blown away by what was inside in terms of the paintings and the sculptures and if you follow me on Facebook, you'll know that um, I put a lot of those beautiful photos on my Facebook page just to show people how absolutely glorious the history, scenery, cathedrals and castles are in Europe. Um, one of the biggest castles we visited was in Fusson um, and it... Uh, had uh, an amazing place um, up in the hills where one of their ruling kings had visited essentially a monument to himself, an incredibly beautiful monument, uh, but the amount of money that had been spent in th that place was mind-blowing. Um the next place we went to visit was Austria and 
I just loved Austria in terms of the whole sound of music, um, snow-capped mountains and green fields. It was undoubtedly beautiful and it really I really was transported to the sound of music the film from my childhood and of all the places we visited in Europe Austrians were the ones that spoke the most English and was the place where the language barrier was so much easier to navigate. Um, many Austrians speak and understand English, so for Americans, Australians, New Zealanders, a very nice place to visit. Um, they have wonderful, similar to Canada, where they have wonderful gondolas that travel up the steep slopes to the top of the Alps and beautiful 360-degree um, views across the countryside, wonderful restaurants at the top of those um, mountains and really a very, very beautiful place to visit. Um it um, was uh, profoundly beautiful and very serene and magical um, and a wonderful place to visit. The other thing that we liked about Austria was that they are so dog-friendly. There were dogs in the hotels, there were dogs in the cafes, there were dogs travelling up and down the ski lifts and in the gondolas, and they were all really the best-behaved dogs I've ever seen. But I think that that's because they're freely allowed to travel with their owners and freely allowed to uh, go wherever they want to. Um, there was no um, – they didn't seem to leave messes. The owners cleaned up um, after them. Um, not that we saw any of that, but it was just, I thought, a wonderful part of Austria was the fact that they embraced their animals travelling with them and many of the hotels encouraged and allowed animals to stay with them in the room which I thought was interesting I'm not sure about America but I know in Australia it's only a recent thing where um, animals are allowed to accompany um, animals other than seeing eye dogs or therapy dogs being allowed to go to uh, restaurants and cafes with you um Mason, I'm not sure why they are so dog-friendly. I just know that I, it was a really enjoyable part of our visit for us. Um, there's a lot of research um, from the scientific community about the positive effects of having animals in your life. And across Europe, they're very embracing of um including animals in our everyday life and I guess that extends to um, we saw dogs in workplaces as well. Erin's um, going not many places in the US are pet friendly. Erin, it's, it's the same in Australia. There's not a lot of places that are pet friendly. We're starting to see uh, some restaurants and cafes that allow dogs accompanying their owners into those places, but definitely not as common or accepted as it is across Europe. I think it's a great thing because from my perspective, 
all the animals we saw were incredibly well looked after and well trained and you would hardly know that they were in the restaurant with you because they just sat and laid at their owner's feet, um, obeyed their commands to sit and stay and settle, um, very impressed. Again, there's so many benefits to having your animals with you uh, in terms of your physical and mental health in particular. Um, they have been shown to lower blood pressure, help with chronic ease, uh, chronic disease management. We all know that people who are blind, um, the benefits of having a seeing eye dog and the benefits of therapy dogs in particular. So from my perspective, I thought it was great um, and just interesting to visit Europe and see that the dogs are so well accepted everywhere and everywhere we went and including staying at hotels. I thought it was absolutely fascinating um we then went back to um munich for our last oh, 24 hours and we actually stayed at a hotel at the munich airport and the munich airport is one of those fabulous airports where they have everything from hotels to uh eateries and uh, they also have a huge conference center there and an Audi car dealership. So I had a fabulous time uh, sitting in the uh, Audi sports car and thinking, oh, isn't this nice and wouldn't it be nice to have one of these to drive uh, all the time? Of course, Audi is synonymous with Germany and German engineering of cars, but fabulous cars indeed and on our way home we actually got to um, stop in at Singapore again Singapore is one of my favorite airports simply because it's full of beautiful gardens uh, lots of orchids and um, they have a butterfly garden that you can go and walk through they have a monumental uh, garden with a huge uh, ceiling um, waterfall um, which is another wonderful place to visit. They have these fabulous little trains that take you from one terminal to the other and they have things like massage chairs and napping pods and showers and lots of great things at Changi, Singapore's primary um, airport um, and of course it's very clean and very well looked after very streamlined lots of travelators and escalators it's easy to get around um, lots of fabulous eateries and great lounges uh, to rest and take uh, a break in we had a rather long stopover in Singapore this time so it was four hours between our arrival from Munich and our next plane back to Brisbane and um, I'm happy to say we now have Brad online and I'm so sorry that um, I've mixed up the times for you, Brad, but welcome to Radio Tony. How are you? I am just fine. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you wonderfully well. Um, I didn't realise that um, America's time zone had uh, slotted on and I've managed to completely mess up the times for today. So thank you for being able to come on early. Well, <clears throat> that's okay. I just... Uh, I was at a Chamber of Commerce uh, event, and I just ran in to the house, so I'm I'm here. <laughs> I am so appreciative, so glad to have you here, Brad. So, um, I've been we've been waiting for this show for quite a while, and um, I'm going to actually talk through the uh, next scheduled segments just to keep you on the line. So, Brad, you've written this amazing book called man at 50 and so i thought we'd start by talking to our listeners from talk and talking about your childhood and starting at the very beginning so you are one of 10 children in your family aren't you yes i'm i'm the baby (laughs) the baby of 10 um which there's not uh, many families that have 10 children nowadays. It's, it was um, a uh, common number of children um, many years ago, but not so common now. Um, Brad, can you tell our listeners what your childhood was like? Well, it was uh, chaotic at times. Yes. Um, there, there was uh, quite a bit of dysfunction uh, within the family, um, a lot of arguing, uh, obviously, uh, some of it just normal arguing uh, with that many kids uh, in the house. Um, yes. There was um, abuse that, that occurred in in my family. Um, A lot of the abuse uh, was related to me or I found out later in life um, what had happened between the siblings and and some abuse that, um, you know, that did occur. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I myself, um, I believe that I was uh, was a victim of of abuse uh, by my by my siblings. But my recollection is uh, is cloudy. Um, my, my visions are more, uh, like dreams, like, you know, cloudy, uh, dreams, uh, and I don't have any, and that's probably a good thing. I don't have any um, clear recollection. So, um, my father, uh, was a very, um, well, he was very cold. Um, he wasn't an an affectionate man and he kind of ruled the, ruled the roost with a, with an iron fist. Um, that's how he was raised. Yeah. And so um, none of the kids, uh, including myself, really had a close relationship with him. Yeah. And um, basically the dysfunction came from um, inappropriate situations where yeah. with that many kids, um, the children, you know, uh, they shared beds because there wasn't yeah. enough beds to go around for all the all the children. Um, yeah. So the the boys slept in the same beds as the girls, and vice versa, yeah. and um, that did lead to some you know inappropriate behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how how deep you want me to go into it because it's in the book. It's you know yes. the first fifty years of my life, so there's yes. a lot of details in there. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Um, it is. They're more, um, the abuse was more about a situational effect. So the fact that there were 10 kids and, and not enough beds and that you had to share and um, 
some of that normal finding out about sexuality happened in a situation that was abnormal, I guess you could say, Brad. Right. Nobody really had any privacy. Um, yes. You know, no one, no one had the opportunity to, um, you know, as you say, explore their sexuality, but do it in private. Yes. Um, I mean, everything was pretty much shared, uh, on, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the effects of that dysfunctional childhood had definite impacts on you moving into adulthood. Do you want to tell us about some of those things, Brad? Well, to start off with, um, I was pretty much resented by my, uh, my siblings. Um, now keep in mind some of my older siblings, um, uh, you know, they had moved out and they were living their own lives. Um, yes. as <clears throat> when I was born, I mean, some of them were, were old enough to be on their own and, and have their own relationships and families. And yeah. When you were born, your, one of your older sister was 17 years older than you. Right. My, um, my, Older sister, um, and and her name in the book is Meg. Um, yes. We share we share a birth date, and we were both born on the same day, but seventeen years apart. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we've always kind of you know our lives lives have been those of twins, even though there was seventeen years between us. We've always yeah. been very close. Yeah. Um, she wasn't in the household when I was growing up because she was one of the older siblings. Yes. Um, but there was a lot of resentment. Um, I was being the baby of the family. I was spoiled and I was treated differently. Um, yeah. the, the discipline was different for me. Um, yeah. it wasn't as harsh, um, because they kind of, you know, put a stop to it yeah. by the time I came around yeah. and there was a lot of resentment and a lot of control, um, yeah. by my siblings, uh, because I was an easy target. I was easier yeah. to control than than our dad was. Yeah. So, um, so I was kind of targeted for that. Um, and you know, basically being insecure and, uh, disruptive and talkative and, yes. you know, the baby of the family seeking for attention because yes. every, yes. everyone was fighting for attention, uh, in that large of a family. Yeah. Um, and it, it basically from, you know, for me, uh, I sought out attention from siblings and friends and pretty much anybody that would, you know, uh, listen yeah. to me. I, I was yeah. in front of, but my father, when it came to my father, one of the, um, hardest things growing up was my relationship with him. Yes. Um, any affection that I would show to him, whether it be a kiss goodnight or just to touch his hand or, or any kind of uh, affection, um, he would question my sexuality and ask me yeah. if I was gay or if I was queer or whatever term he would use. And um, he just wouldn't allow me to get close to him in any way, uh, yeah. you know, when it comes to physical, from a physical standpoint. Yeah. yeah. And so that really set me up for a lot of challenges as, yeah. uh, as I grew older. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it caused you to try and prove yourself as well, didn't it? You always... Yes, um, yeah. definitely. When when I um, started, you know, uh, dating and when I... When I started to notice girls at, at a young at a at a young age, yes. um, I sought out uh, older girls to to date. Um, yes. 
because uh, I, you know, I was looking for a mother figure. I had a great yes. relationship with my mother, um, but uh, I sought out, you know, the wrong type of girls, um, and I basically was on a mission to prove my manlyhood to my father. Uh, yeah. And what, in my mind, what better way to do that than to, you know, date or yes. to be sexual with with yes. older girls that were more uh, educated and more experienced and uh, and all of those things. Yeah. And it was a string of of failed relationships. Um, and I just went from one relationship to another. Um, I equated uh, sex with love. And as long as yes. the sex was there, the love was there. And yeah. of course, that was an illusion. Yes. <laughs> and yes. uh, and each of them failed. Yeah. Um, then I went on to join uh, the military at 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I joined the U.S. Army at 17 years old. Yeah. Um, I thought being around uh, soldiers, other men, might yes. help me um, find myself a, as a yeah. man. Yeah. Um, and I continued that pattern of, of uh, extremes when it came to relationships. Yeah. Um, and basically... You know, even into the military, uh, every uh, lady that I met, it was um, intense, you know, sexual encounters. And the more extreme they were, the more love I I deemed them. uh, I I deemed that there was more love. And I, I, you know, I felt like I was in love with each and every person that I had an exchange with, which, in fact, uh, was not the case. But um, so that... That takes me into the military. Um, when I was away at basic training, uh, I delved into uh, prostitution, um, wow. and uh, not myself, but I sought out oh prostitutes um, yeah. for that for that love sexual connection. Um, yeah. But it it ended up being, uh, you know, of course it was it was, they were dead ends, and uh, I returned yeah. home from my military training. Uh, basically went home to my mom and dad and and yeah. and had nobody when when I got yeah. home basically yeah 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 and so you went on to marry um, and your first marriage ended and then you had a second marriage and the, the your first, second marriage was the longest yeah yes that's correct. Yeah, and um, your second wife was the one that uh, was into um, uh, spell casting and demon release. Is that that's correct, isn't it? Right, that was the second marriage. Um, yes. Just to back, just to back up a, a little bit. Um, on my, on my window on the screen, uh, there's questions popping up yes. in the chat room. So I don't know if yeah, you see those or not, it, but okay. <laughs> I, I do. So, and I was. Um, <laughs> I, I was just looking at them going, like oh, there's to, questions there. No, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to. Um, I was going to park them for, for a little while, but go for it, Brad. Answer the oh. questions. Zara, Erin, and Renee have all got questions. So go okay. for it. Well, they they popped up and then they disappeared. But what I'll what yeah. I'll do is I'll I'll try to um, back up a little bit to the first marriage and hopefully I can answer their questions. Yes. You know, in yes. my scenario. Yes. Um, my first marriage was while I was in the military, and my first wife, um, uh, she was thirteen years older than me. 
Yeah. Um, and I was away from my family and I needed some kind of security. And so yeah. I entered into that, that marriage, um, with blinders on and I was married to her for six years. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a son together mm-hmm. and that marriage ended in her having a, uh, lesbian affair with a lady she worked with at, yeah. uh, the daycare that my son attended, mm. uh, which further crushed my mm. sexuality and my manhood, yeah. um, pretty, pretty substantially. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was the first marriage. It lasted six years. Um, I immediately found someone else, uh, that was also, uh, older, about four years older. Mm-hmm. And, um, we met in a single, um, a single, uh, person's group. Yeah. Uh, she was single, I was single and she was, uh, heavily into metaphysics. And, um, so it, in a very short period of time, we were, we were married and she did a lot of dissecting and a lot of questioning and analyzing, um, of, of me and yes. where I was at my behavior. Um, the, uh, the little person in me that was con- kind of controlling my life and my behavior. And that marriage was 22 years long. Yeah. Um, she was into metaphysics. Um, she eventually went on to start a business online and did spell casting. Yeah. Um, now she did white, white magic. Um, mm-hmm. she didn't do anything, um, from a negative nature or taking yes. people's free will away or, or, or none of that. Um, it was white magic. It was spiritual, you know, enlightenment, um, yes. type of, uh, type of work that she did. But, yeah. um, she she attempted to help a lot of people with their problems uh, and at the same time dissecting and and kind of breaking, you know, my yeah. life into into sections and trying to get me to understand um, the challenges that I that I would face yeah. or that I needed to face to move on. Yeah. Um, and about 10 years, the last 10 years of my second marriage um we had a non-physical relationship. Um, yeah. We lived in the same house, but we had nothing, you know, to do with each other physically for ten for ten years. Wow. And I was basically she kind of gave up gave up on trying to fix me. Yes. Um, and so the last, like I said, the last ten years, I were on my I was on my own. And um, during that time. Uh, my family did not approve of her lifestyle, what she uh-huh. did for a living, or her perspective on spirituality, Christianity, yeah. beliefs, and things of that nature. Yeah. So we also had a son together, and on one occasion, I had two siblings that uh, reported us to CPS. Um, they said that we were full-time RVers living in an RV, traveling around the country for about two and a half years. And right. my second son was homeschooled. Right. And a couple of my family members did not approve of that. So um, they called Child Protective Services yeah. and the police department uh, to interview us and interview him because they didn't think it was a good environment for him to be in. Um, when it was all said and done, um, the police department <clears throat> and child protective services did not see anything of a derogatory nature. The case was closed, dropped, 
but the damage had been done and my life had been interfered with by two of my siblings and that created a tremendous amount of disconnect from uh, at least those two family members. So um, basically, um, I I don't want to give away the entire book, (laughs) (laughs) but but basically um, that that was like the start of my second marriage ending. Yeah. And um, I knew that I wasn't happy in that second marriage, but. I made a promise um, at the beginning of those last 10 years that I would not um, I would not leave my second son. I ended up leaving my yeah. first son behind with his mother yeah. um, for various reasons um, that I cover in, in the yes. book. Yes. But, um, yes. I we don't made, give away uh, everything in the book. Right. I, I made that choice to stay uh, in my second marriage for my second son. And yeah. it was ten ten years of uh, yeah. of being present, but but not in the relationship at all. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm guessing that the ending of your second marriage was actually the catalyst for you to start thinking about changing uh, behavior and and starting to work on yourself. Um, Ivy wants to know: Did you feel you needed to be fixed? Did you fundamentally think that there was something wrong with you or did you just go along with what your wife talked to you about to try and keep the peace? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. um, I accepted what she told me as as truth um, 70% of the time. Um, I knew that the changes couldn't be made by her, that they were changes yes. that I had to do. Yes. Um, and I did a lot of soul searching and um, stepping up and making the decision to stay in that marriage, even though there wasn't a marriage in the last 10 years. Yeah. That was my first step, my first yes. adult uh, adult decision that I yeah. had made to do, to do that. Yeah. Um, and so... I, I started to do a lot, a lot of work on, yes. um, on, on my little me, yes. um, because up to that point, my little person inside of me, um, was still spoiled, was still abused and was still controlling my actions and my behaviors and my insecurities. Yeah. yeah. And as I got to the end of that 10 years, um, my second son became an adult and my promise to him was to stay in the house until he became an adult and he yes. could understand why I was leaving. Yeah. Um, and I basically left shortly after he turned 18 years uh, of uh-huh. age yeah. and um, made the transition and took full responsibility of uh, my little me. Yes. yes. And gave and gave him um, the the opportunity to. Um, stop controlling me, and yeah. I made it clear to him that uh, that I would take it from here, that I would protect him, and that no one else would hurt him any further. Mm-hmm. And not until I took the responsibility as an adult um, was I able to make a transition. Yeah. And that was that was my turning point. That that's when I became a man at fifty. Yeah. To go back yeah. to go back to the book title. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Go back to the book title. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it 
took you a long time to really start to work on yourself and make those adult decisions. And when you talk about little me, it's in reference to your inner child or and and the fact that you hadn't grown up in all that time and you still hadn't acted um, with adult decision-making. You were still virtually playing the child for all that time. Is mm-hmm. that how you I, felt, Brad? Right. I was a follower. Um, yes. I made no financial decisions. I worked very hard. Uh, at times, I had multiple jobs, sometimes morning and night. Yeah. Um, I worked very hard and um, provided an income, but I, I wasn't involved in discipline. I wasn't involved in any parenting decisions whatsoever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and because I, I didn't know how. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I lived with a child, um, you know, little Brad, uh, I lived with, uh, with a child 24 yeah. seven and I, and for a very long time for, you know, yes. 50, 50 years or so, yeah. I, I couldn't even control his behavior. So yeah. I wasn't in a position to, to be a parent Yeah, yeah. or a husband or a husband for that, yeah. for that. Yeah. So Skipping forward to present time, where are you at now, Brad? Well, um, it's interesting. It, when I made the transition and um, and turned fifty, um, that's the same time that I left my failing marriage, my second marriage. Yes. Uh, yeah. At at fifty years old, yeah. um, and. I also, like I said, I, I released him and I took care of him and I made a decision that it was time for me to step up and control what what direction I wanted to go into. Um, yeah. And leaving my failing marriage, um, my second marriage, that was very empowering. Um, yeah. That was an adult decision. Um, it was like my second, uh, second or third adult decision I had made in 50 years. Yeah. Um, and I met my third wife, my current wife, my yes. last wife, um, yes. and um, and she was younger than me. Yeah. And she allowed me um, to step into the role of provider, uh, husband, father, um, yes. and and strength. The strength that she needed. The strength that would empower her and, and give her the, you know, security that she was seeking. Um, yeah. and so it was an opportunity for me to, um, step into the role that, that it was past time. It was, it was, you yeah. know, past due. It was time for me to step into that role. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I made that transition, um, and the first 50 years of my life, and I'm sure other people can relate to this, um, had no credit, had no money, um, and basically had no success and nothing yeah. to show for it. Yeah. Um, we've been together for five years, um, and we have accomplished uh, you know, quite a few things um, together. Um, moving in the right direction, um, yeah. we feel we feel normal. Um, we have a house and cars and investments and stuff that yeah. everybody you know normal has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was uh, it was a new life, a new beginning uh, yeah. at at fifty. At fifty. Um, 
And the reason why I wrote the book, and it's important for the listeners to understand that I wrote it for two reasons. I wrote it in hopes that it helps at least one other person uh, that may be struggling with something in their life or something in their past. And I, I want them to be able to see that I survived. Um, I didn't end up in prison or I didn't end up in rehab or I didn't yeah. end up wor- end up worse. Um, you know, I, I never even thought about the thought of taking my life never, ever occurred to me. Um, so just to Absolutely. give other people hope that they can make it and, um, there are possibilities ahead of all of us. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the one reason. And the second reason I wrote the book is my father, and I'll touch base on that just real briefly. Yeah. Uh, I wrote it for my father because when my father um, died, um, there was a situation where he had fallen and he had bleeding in his brain. Yeah. And he also had part of his, uh, half of his heart was obstructed. He had a, a blockage in his heart. And my family made a very difficult decision to let him pass, to let him go, because the doctors couldn't, couldn't address either one of those issues um, yeah. um, because of various reasons. But when he passed away, um, I actually wasn't there uh, when he passed away, but I was there, uh, in the IC unit, we made the decision to pull everything and he had a lot of guilt and he had a lot of, um, fear and anxiety. And, um, he spent the last five years of his life crying and praying and walking up and down the halls of the nursing home. And that was his life in the last five years. Um, after the doctor's took everything, you know, and unplugged everything and took everything um, off of him. He was in a hospice and the doctors gave him about a day or two. Yeah. He lived for 10 days on morphine and ice chips and refused to leave because he was fearful and he was scared and he didn't want to take all that with him. But subsequently, he ended up taking all of that negative pain with him and that's the second reason why i wrote the book i have no intention of taking any of this with me i'm leaving it behind to hopefully benefit someone else yeah listen brad evie wants to know do you have any kind of relationship with your family or have you washed your hands with them um i it's 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 kind of ironic it's a great Um, question evie Yes, it's a great question. Uh, I have reconnected with all of my family members, including the two siblings that um, interfered in my life um, dramatically. And uh, recently, in the past uh, couple of months, I attended a family reunion. Yeah. And um, everything went just fine. Um, But I went to that reunion as an adult. I didn't go. I didn't go to the reunion as the baby of the family, I went back as an adult and I have made peace with all of them and I am in communication with all of them, some more than others. Um, but all, all nine brothers and sisters are still alive. Um, we're all of us are still alive, but both my mother and father have passed on. Now passed. Yeah. Uh, David wants to know people tend to try and find religion when they hold on to regret of life. Any thoughts on that, Brad? Um, my, as far as my 
father goes, um, he was a devout Catholic. Yes. Um, he was a devout Catholic, and he read a lot of um, he read a lot about about God and and Jesus in the Missalette. The Catholics have a book yes. called the Missalette. Yes. Um, but my father had never read the Bible. Um, oh. But but he knew the Missalette from cover to cover, but not the Bible. Um, and I don't believe that he felt very close to God, and he. He he had no assurances that he was going to be taken care of when he passed on, and he was scared because he didn't know where he was going. Yeah. Did you see or think that he was scared right up till the end um, of and at the time of his passing, or did he actually get some peace before he passed, do you think? No, I, I believe that he had no peace when he passed. That's why he... That's why his body um, held out for so yeah. long on, yeah. on nothing. Um, yeah. I was I was able to make physical contact with him in his hospital bed for the first time in a very long time, um, where I kissed his forehead and told him it was okay and told him that that his little boy would be just fine and that it was okay for him to go and to find his light and to be happy yeah. and. Yeah. He acknowledged that by making noises, but they, but he couldn't speak. Yeah. Um, but and he acknowledged that, and I know that he heard me. He yes. he 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 knew that I would be okay. Um, but he wasn't ready. He just he he wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he he wanted things to be different different, but he did not make choices to to change the things that he was responsible to change. For yeah. him to to let that go, uh, so yeah. unfortunately he took it with him. Oh, which is pretty sad, isn't it? Brad Renee wants to know: Have they read the book, or do they know about the book? Um, I I believe um, the majority of my family ha- have not. My um my yeah. oldest uh, my oldest uh, sister um, Meg um, she has. Um, she, she has, has read it. Um, the book was written, um, in a very general fashion. Um, and, and, and all the names in my book are fictitional, uh, fictitious. Um, nobody is called out by name and because the purpose of the book was not to call anybody out. The purpose was to share my story, um, for, for those two goals. Um, so I know one of them has. The others, um, I don't know if they have or not. And if if they do in the future, um, what the reactions will be will just be something that, you know, I will face case by As case. As that time comes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. That's so, Brad, the book is called Man at 50 and it's available on Amazon right now? Yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, oh, yes. It's also it's also available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited for free if you have if you have Kindle Unlimited. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm just going to put this in the um, chat box. If you're happy, I'm going to keep you right to the end of the show. Our next guest um, hasn't called in yet, so we will. Well, that, that's uh, fine. <laughs> I was That's hoping fine. you'd say that. Barnes and Noble, uh, free on kin on Kindle. The Kindle un- if you have Kindle Unlimited, it Unlimited. is uh, available through Kindle Unlimited. And in December it will be released as an audiobook as well. Yeah. 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 
Um, it's a great book, uh, people. I've read three quarters of it um, <laughs> and have yet to get back to finishing it, but it's great. It's a really good read, well-written, um, exploring lots of the things that are hard to talk about um, and uncomfortable to talk about, but definitely uh, things that we we need to hear about. Um, often with people, it's not until we reach our mid-40s and into our 50s and sometimes our 60s when we start to uh, have uh, an idea about some of the dysfunction we might have experienced as children and that's definitely your take on things, isn't it, Brad? Yeah, um, that Exactly. That leads me into, you know, probably my last point um, be- yes. before we're done uh, here tonight is – um, through my experiences and, and through writing the book and through purging my mind, uh, it, it took four months to write it, which seems yes. like yeah, that yeah. seems pretty quick, but it was it was from memories. So um, it, the book has led me to a belief, a belief system that most people um, can connect challenges and, and issues in their lives to their little selves, to their little person within them. And there's a process that you have to go through. Um, You have to go through specific steps and stages um, to, to connect with that little person. And the hardest thing to do is to take responsibility for them and to, um, because they want to continue to control. They want to continue yes. to um, be in control of things even way into our 50s and 60s yeah. and beyond. Yeah. And we, you know, it's it's the most important thing anyone can do is to find that little person within them yeah. and – and, and question them and, and get an understanding of why they're doing the things they're doing, yeah. why they're behaving the way they're behaving, um, i.e. them. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and only then, I mean, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's very common. Um, most therapists, most counselors, um, usually the first question they ask to any new client is tell me about your childhood. Childhood, yeah. And there's a reason that they start off with that question because almost, and I don't want to make an allness statement, but almost everything um, when it comes to understanding and making positive changes can go back to our little selves. Yeah. And so that's where I'm moving forward with my second book, um, I have started my second book, yeah. and um, and I hope to begin speaking and having speaking engagements because I'd like to teach this to as many people as I can reach out yeah. to. I yeah. think it would make a difference to people. Uh, I do too. Um, Willow wants to know, how old were you when you wrote this book? I, be- I began the writing last March. Yeah. February, March time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was 55. 55. There you go. I'm, I'm still 55. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just come out now. Um, mm. And the audio book's definitely coming out in December. Missy wants to know. Yes. I'm, yes, it should be. Um, the production deadline is the end of November. So I, yes. I uh, it should be on Amazon. Uh, it'll be on iTunes and, uh, and audio, yeah. audible.com Audible. uh, in, yeah. de- in yeah. December. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and you've got a professional uh, voiceover actor who's going to do the audio for you, haven't you? Um, yes. Um, the gentleman doing my narration for the audiobook is um, Steve Stansel. Yeah. Um, by name, people wouldn't recognize him, but he is the voice you know his of voice. H- He's the voice of HBO. He does their commercials and trailers. Yeah along with um, Target, Verizon, Papa John's, and many other companies. Uh, yeah. the, you know, he's a wonderful speaker, wonderful reader. Uh, and, and I've heard excerpts from the book that he has recorded, and, and it, made, it made me want to read the book. So, yes. <laughs> so he, he's quite good. <laughs> Listeners, it, it's a really good uh, book, a, a great read, and um, it's been really fabulous to have you on the show. Again, apologies for the time mix-up also for our listeners. Um, I will be back on track <laughs> next week. Um, and Brad's book is, again, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, free on Kindle. The book is called Man at 50, and it's by S. Richard, because Brad uses a pseudonym for uh, publishing reasons. Um, and I think that it is a really wonderful book that talks openly and honestly about some of the struggles that we don't often hear men talk about. And I think it's a very brave and courageous thing for a man to write so openly and honestly about the struggles that he's been um, faced with and also, more importantly, about the things that he's done to heal that inner child and to move on to a much more functional, stable and wonderful life. And for our listeners, life is wonderful for you, isn't it, Brad? Well, it's uh, it's greatly improved. Still have yeah. struggles like everybody else, but yeah. um, but you know I'm in a much stronger place than I've ever been in my life. And my last two points quickly would be yes. um, the subtitle of the book is "Man at Fifty: A Journey of Crisis, Revelation, yeah. and Survival." Yeah. And I believe that um, we all can survive no matter what it is. Yeah. And my email address is manat50thebook at yahoo.com. If uh-huh. anyone would like to send me a question um, or an email, you know, feel free to do so. I would love to speak with people and, and, and help them in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, Brad, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on Radio Tony this week. Um, I will Thank you. talk with you again soon, and thank you for coming on early. Um, oh, listeners, you're welcome. We've got in the background Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm good, darling. We have had no end of technical issues this morning and time uh, uh, messes up and, uh, yes. <laughs> Look, that's life, isn't it? And that's that's not a problem for me. I'm extremely flexible, as you know. That's life of live radio. So... <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I'm not sure just how much time we have left, but I'm going to keep talking until Rebel cuts me off. Right. Um, <laughs> Let's go. How have you been? I'm, I'm wonderful, thank you. Uh, very, very busy at the moment, as everyone is coming into Christmas. Isn't uh, it just, a crazy uh, time of year? It is, most definitely, but it's it's an exciting time of the year. I, I certainly feel uh, an element of excitement in the air. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm actually feeling pretty good. If I could just get over this jet lag, I would be feeling wonderful. Um, So, Tracy, I want you to tell our listeners quickly what you've been up to and what exciting things you have ahead. Oh, right. So what have I been up to? I've just uh, finished sending my mother's uh, book to layout. So her book is called Come Fly With Me in a DC-3. And uh, she's 89, so she flew as an air hostess in the 50s. So we've just sent that off, and I'm getting ready to send mine off now because I had to park, park mine while I did that. So I know. Book- You've had a very interesting time with your book, haven't you, Tracy? Yes, I have. Yes, so I have. It's been just, so the list- just so the listeners know, uh, Tracy is um, a whistleblower, and she's written a really explosive book on her uh, time in the education system and so it's had to have some pretty stringent legal uh, going over, I guess you'd say, is the best way to describe it, isn't it, Tracy? Yes, yes. It's it's a great thing to do actually because um, I have so much uh, court-ready evidence and, uh, uh, you know, I'm outing outing the Queensland Education Department on – on corruption and deceit and false allegations and it's it's been going for quite some time under the public service act mm, since 2009 um uh, anna bligh changed it (laughs) to suit themselves so that that's my that's what i want out of it the outcome of the book is to share uh why uh the act is um it's time for it to go and to be reviewed and yeah. also to change the act. But also it's a, a legacy for my children so the actual truth is out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if is it safe being a whistleblower? No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going, that's a perfect question, Willow, for Tracy because she knows all about it. Yes. it's uh, You know the minute that um, you uh, um, you invoke the whistleblower act that the your career is finished and for me i had i I was lucky i managed to stay in for 10 years and fight them and uh uh it was it was a big issue the the biggest issue i suppose when i look back on it is is um the effect on our children my son was 10 years old and he had just come out of hospital from meningitis and gone back to school and i'd i'd suspended a a boy well he was like a man at at the high school i was uh, running and um he he was very violent and the department wouldn't let me uh exit him from the school so anyway i did I, i exited him for his last bout of violence and his Mother picked up her friend and a group of high school kids. They drove over to the primary school and uh, they waited for my son to leave uh, the primary school. He was 10 years old and they bashed the crap out of him, so to speak, absolutely bashed him head to toe. One adult uh, got out of their car or bus to help. They left him there and it was just disgraceful. The parents were charged and convicted uh, and actually uh, made leave town but my son literally, it was just, it was the most uh, terrifying moment for him and obviously for myself. And he, uh, he left, um, he left that school, didn't go back. And he asked me if he could go to boarding school and literally went to boarding school um, the following uh, fortnight. Mm. Yeah. Very scary. Uh, 
also it uh it my uh my daughter copped a lot of uh, abuse as well uh, hers was more verbal bullying and his was uh definitely physical and I've lost your connection, it sounds like, Tony, so I'm just going to keep talking just in case that uh, I'm uh, on board here. Oh, and sorry, Tracy, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're having just the best time today, listeners. I can tell you it's just not been great. I thought the was <laughs> tracking me and I got her. Well, we'll cut her out here so she doesn't say any more. <laughs> I just had that thought, Tracy. I'm like, oh, my God, they're listening to Tracy on the radio and they've just <laughs> shut her down. Uh, it's very much like that, actually. That's a very re- that's very real, uh, extremely yes. real. Yeah, you, li- you live in a state of absolute fear. Um, police came. The police were extremely supportive for me because yeah. they uh, – their police inspector, detective inspector, had been um, uh, targeted as well as a result yeah. of uh, helping me. And uh, the the sad part was that uh, um, I lived in a small community and so you're targeted. You can't leave the house. You can't do a thing. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to speak to anyone. And it's very communistic. In, in, a, in a country like Australia, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgraceful. And uh, people's heads should roll. So Absolutely. I'm whistling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how's, how's your son now, Tracy? Is he okay? <laughs> he, he's um he's a beautiful young man, as is as my daughter. He's 23, and my daughter's 27. He uh, fortunately uh, went to a beautiful boarding school with a, a fabulous um, team around him that supported oh. him, and he continued with that uh, for the rest of his life. But he uh, is six foot six, and we taught our son not to be violent, even though he was brought up in a very violent area. We we taught him to use his sense of humour to get out of situations and it has actually been fabulous for him. Uh, it has worked. And, and yeah. even, you know, when he uh, left school and did the clubbing scene, he was very smart and intelligent and used that because he, yeah. was, he was a beautiful blonde and still is a beautiful blonde, blue-eyed boy. He's a target, a big you know, six-foot-six yes. target um, yes. and very soft. So humour is what he did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff's saying, can't you leave the country to escape this treatment? Well, eventually you did leave that country town, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. And my son actually um, rang me when he was 15 and he asked me if he could go on exchange to America. Yeah. And I, I said to him, yes, if you do all the work, he did. He rang up and he said, right, Mum, you just have to come with me to Sydney while I get my visa. Um, in the American consulate, off we went, and uh, he went to America uh, to to literally escape the bullying that uh, he was still experiencing as a result of this. So our department um, has a lot to answer for. And the sad yeah. part was um, members of the department kept, unbeknown to me, I didn't get it, but they were asking me, oh, you know, Sam's, Sam's flying back to Australia what date is he coming into Australia? Where's he coming from? And then the police picked him up <gasps> in Sydney and they said to him, son, we're really worried about you. Someone's made some false, what we believe are false allegations about you drug trafficking. <gasps> we're, we're going to check you anyway, but we believe they're, they're very um, hedgy. And so Sam said, fortunately, the police were brilliant, um, the AFP, and they, wow. they go over my stuff but you can imagine he'd just turned 16 for a 16 year old man uh, I, I was pretty pretty livid with um and I knew I knew who had done it so um, terrible. a local 
member a leader in the in my community and uh yeah i i, I cried i literally cried <sighs> at the airport <laughs> as he came through the gate i think everyone looked at me and wondered what on earth was going on yeah the poor kid he was yeah it was and he had a wonderful time in america absolutely adored it. uh he played gridiron and he fell in love with gridiron basketball um yeah. the school system was great and he got he just you know it was just a it lovely felt. experience for him. Yeah, it helped him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tracy, before we run out of time, um, I know that you wanted to talk about some exciting developments for you in 2020. What are they? Oh, gosh, look, wow, thank you. I'm going to attend uh, the Women Economic Forum in Cairo in Egypt in March. So uh, that, that's something that's been a dream of mine, a lifelong dream forever. Yes. And yes. uh, to go and speak publicly on a stage of two and a half thousand people, women go to Cairo and have a look at uh, all those beautiful pharaohs, tombs, and pyramids. That's my dream come true. So I'm looking forward to that next year. Congratulations! That will be <laughs> Thank fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, and what else have you got on your plate? I'm going to Italy uh, in June, so it's uh, my 60th birthday, so I'm actually going to go over there for a speaking I can't believe fest. that you're 60. You're just... <laughs> I know. It's only a number. It's only a number. True, um, true. I still play with racehorses, so I'm okay until <laughs> I can't do that anymore. And yeah. I'm also going to Orlando in um, Florida next year to launch, to uh, do an American book launch and yes. to take... Um, uh, some people over there for public speaking. So some of my clients who've got really interesting stories. Yes. Uh, also, we thought we'd do a bit of a public speaking uh, adventure over there and uh, see how the Americans enjoy us, uh, us Aussies, as we come over with our um, <laughs> our sense of humour, etc. Fantastic! That sounds really exciting. I yes, I Orlando's on my list of places to visit, um, and Florida as well. So um, that would be a fabulous trip, Tracy. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and it's going to be a great year next year. Year of international speaking, jo- uh, Tony. Is it really? Yes. Ah. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, so you are going to be very busy and in between all of that, you continue to help people to speak in public and unlock their voices, don't you? I most definitely do and I also uh, help them um, struggle with their struggles with, the, with their government departments in terms of uh, the, that act. <laughs> in fact, I had a lady yes. help yesterday, yes. Ah, so people can still come to you and get that assistance in being a whistleblower in Australia? Yes, absolutely, most definitely. They certainly ah, can. And, fantastic. Uh, yeah, they, they can certainly contact me and uh, my number is 0429 and I welcome them. And 0429 one six. Now that's an Australian mobile yeah, phone Australian. number for yeah. our American listeners. So yeah. uh, you've just got to put the six one in front of that if you're calling from America. Um, yes. We are almost out of time, Tracy. Of time. I'm just. I love talking to you uh, each Me week, too. and <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you've been patient with all our technical issues today and our time differences. And uh, next week. Um, I think we have Tracy on again for a little bit. Uh, just Ooh. trying to remember my schedule. Um, oh, if not, it's the week after. 
That sounds wonderful, Tony. I look forward to it. I really do. It's a great time. Thank you so much for being on the show. And listeners, thank you for listening to Radio Tony today. We love all your interaction, your questions and your comments. It's fabulous. All right, Tracy. Thanks for that. See you next week, everyone. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom.